This is just a little postscript. Um, I did not talk about beef at all at time of record. Um, it is a couple days after record. Um, and just in case anybody is curious uh, or has not heard about it already, beef is a Netflix show, or not Netflix, um, but it's a it's a TV show that was um, produced by A24, uh, and both Steven Yoon and Ali Wong were executive producers on this piece of work, um, and there is an actor by the name of David Cho who is on this show, and Cho actually made a podcast a few years ago um, just talking about his sexual exploits, and he talked about raping a black woman and in, in graphic detail, um, and there's been a lot of back and forth on Twitter about it and um, just general calls for accountability and for him to be removed from the show. And um, there are people who are like, oh, this is tainting the show's legacy and impact. And I do want to say um, that fuck David Cho. Um, we do not stand with rapists. I don't care that he's Asian American. He is rapist and that is not cool that is not acceptable by any means at all um also um you know i, I do hope that ali wong and steven yun actually take accountability for their actions um it's really not cool of them to actually platform this rapist and and give him this sort of airtime and exposure as sort of not and not necessarily as reward for his actions but like looking past his actions and not holding him accountable to um for his actions so yep just wanted to to say that and uh with that hope you enjoy the show hello and welcome to another episode of nonsense and noise the podcast about a queer and person of color pop culture media experience i am your host nathan kato and wow i am just so tired slash just ready to take a nap (laughs) i um been a, it's been a lot of work that I've been doing at work, and so as a result, um, I was going to try and record, I think, a little bit earlier this month, but instead, here we are, a little bit over halfway through the month. Um, today is April 16th, and um, yeah, work has just been like really running me ragged. I had a presentation on Wednesday that I gave that was... Um, a slide deck of like 120 slides and luckily I didn't have to present on all of them but um yeah it was a, it was a like very important presentation with a lot of uh, high-ranking people there and it was a lot of work leading up to it and luckily it went well got lots of really good feedback on it so um I'm happy that that's done but there are still like two more meetings that I have to present at so um I'm not quite out of the woods yet and uh, lots of lots of like writing technical writing that i have to do in the future um this project that i'm on like sort of culminates in the the july to august time frame um so i have a a, a lot of writing to do up until then and then um my boss gave me a preview of like the next project that i'm working on and that is also very involved um but this time we'll be working more globally actually like working with people over in europe um so yeah, we'll see how that all goes. Um, I'm excited, but also just like very tired. Um, I I took Friday off and it felt good to take Friday off, but also like at the same time, I would love to have more free time um, slash more time off. So um, yeah, I don't know. We'll see. The next like vacation day or like day off that we all have is Memorial Day and that's at the end of May. So uh we'll see if i hold out until then or if i like take another single day off somewhere um but yeah i've been doing that i've also renewed my library card after like two years of not using it um in new york city you have to like i think you have to renew your library card every three years or something like that um so i got a library card when i first moved into the city back in 2019 um and then i used the library a little bit like earlier on in the pandemic with like the e-reader app and everything but then I stopped because I was like this is bad for me in terms of just like I want to read before bed and having having my phone on before bed isn't great so um or at least like looking at my phone screen um right before bed isn't great it doesn't not help me get to bed so um yeah I renewed my card and um have been uh actually reading physical books and it's been great um just to like have something that I can do, especially when I am 
when the weather's nice and I'm just like, let me just go outside to the park and, um, like read a book. So, um, yeah, nothing really too special has been going on with me. Um, (laughs) work has really been keeping me busy and just very tired. So, um, yeah, nothing, nothing else too like exciting. So we'll hop into pop culture updates. Um, so in terms of video games, it feels like April is pretty light on in terms of like what I guess I have been looking forward to or like anything that's been like on my radar. Um, of course, there was the final Tears of the Kingdom trailer that came out last Friday or Thursday or sometime, whatever, sometime <laughs> last week. Um, and it finally gave us, uh, more of a look at, like, some of the story elements, but, like, and some of the other characters and stuff, so you get to see the return of some of the characters from Breath of the Wild, um, Ganondorf is back as well, um, I know we saw him earlier on, and he was a little crusty underground, and now he's been rehydrated, and, uh, Mr. Ganondorf is very handsome, um, and my friends and I were talking about it earlier, like, um, hopefully we get we don't necessarily need a redemption arc for Ganondorf, but, like, it would be cool to see, um, more motivations for his villainy, because, like, on one hand, like, I understand that, sure, maybe we, like, this cosmic evil or whatever, but, like, also, Ganondorf himself, like, especially as depicted in Ocarina of Time, is, like, a real live person in that fictional universe, um, and so I'm sure he's got wants and needs and desires and, um, I I don't know, like, world domination has always seemed like a pretty shitty uh, motivator to me, just because it's like, okay, well, what else? Like, is there anything else going on for this character, or do they just want control of everything, and to what end? Um, So yeah, it'd be really cool to see more uh, three-dimensionality to Ganondorf, but um, yeah, that trailer is out, I'll link that in the episode notes. Um, but other video games, um, so most of these are already out, um, Ghostwire Tokyo came out on the Xbox on April 12th, it was actually already available on the PlayStation 5 and PC, and it's a supernatural horror RPG game from Bethesda, um, and basically the premise is, uh, Tokyo's population has been, um, has disappeared, and the city is entirely overrun by supernatural beings, and you as the protagonist have to discover the truth behind the disappearance of the people while also dealing with the supernatural. Um, because it's a Bethesda game, like, it does have some, it looks very similar to Skyrim, where you're like, um, you know, you're walking around, you're in the first person perspective, and so, like, all you really see are your hands and everything. Um, but, like, it does look intriguing. Um, I, I know I am a little curious. Um, seems to be pulling a lot from Japanese mythology for the supernatural, so that would be really cool. Um, I know there are, you know, just really cool to see executed. Um, at first, I thought this game was published by Atlas, um, which is a company that does Shin Megami Tensei and all those spinoffs because Shin Megami Tensei pulls a lot from a lot of different cultures and folklore um, for for their what they call demons or summitable creatures. Um, so, yeah, I was expecting Ghostwire Tokyo to be from Atlas, but instead it's from Bethesda. So uh, I, I'm a little leery because, like, Bethesda is... I don't know, they just, like, Western RPGs don't really tend to grab me quite as much, just because, like, they feel weird to me, but that's just my, that's just my opinion. Um, but yeah, that's Ghostwire Tokyo, uh, coming to Xbox on April 12th, um, but it's already out on PS5 and PC if you have interest in playing. Um, the next title came out on April 14th, uh, this is the Mega Man Battle Network Legacy Collection, this is available on the PC, Switch, and PS4, um, I know a friend of, a couple friends of mine were looking forward to this, so it's finally out, have at it. Um, and then the last title that I wanted to highlight is called Strayed Lights 
uh, which comes out on April 25th on the PS4, PS5, Xbox, Switch, and PC. And it's a combat-focused game from the studio Embers Games, um, where you guide your protagonist on a journey towards awakening by fighting your inner demons. Um, It looks very similar in art style to the Ori franchise from Moon Studios, I believe is what that name is, Um, where, like, it's very bright and... I don't know, like, if you just look at... If you've played any of the Ori games, Ori in the Will of the Wisps, or Ori in the Blind Forest, um, I think you would agree that like the the art style is very similar um so that is strayed lights s-t-r-a-y-e-d um coming on april 25th as for movies i have got four of them this time just because like uh the video game section felt a little bit light to me but um so the first one came out on april 7th on netflix i saw a little bit of this on twitter just because people were dunking on the name but it's called chupa um, and that is Chupa, as in like Chupacabra, um, and it is written and directed by Jonas Cuaron, who is a Mexican film writer and director. Um, and this story follows Alex, uh, who is played by Evan Witten, as he befriends a young Chupacabra on his grandfather's farm. The Chupacabra is being hunted by a U.S. government scientist, who is played by Christian Slater, um, and both Alex and his family take it upon themselves to protect the Chupacabra from the scientist and help it find his family. Um, I thought this was worth highlighting, not only because like the title is kind of silly, because Chupa in Spanish means to suck, and that's where, you know, goat sucker comes from chupacabras are literally like sucks goats um but i thought it was interesting that this story is coming about um you know it's it's written and directed by a mexican film writer and director and i think um that is worth highlighting and at least it's a mexican person talking about their culture and their story and how to sort of recontextualize that folklore in a modern day retelling and i think that that's always cool but um just sort of see where that goes and how that plays out so um yeah that is chupa uh which came out on april 7th on netflix the next title which also came out on april 7th um for a limited release, uh, I think it might be in, in theater, have a wide release later, but um, One True Loves, um, and this is based on the book One True Loves by Taylor Jenkins Reid, um, and the story follows Emma Blair, who is played by Philippa Sue, as she navigates having to choose between her husband, who she presumed was dead, who is played by Luke Bracey, and her fiancé, who is played by Simu Liu, um, and I mean, this seems worth highlighting to me just because at least like philippa sue and simulio are both asian um and like it's a story where like race isn't important but it's still cool to see like these actors and these people um given these main roles and um just exploring that um, relationship. I did hear from people who read the book that it is actually like it's quite good um it's not uh, I think it's being marketed as a romantic comedy, which is not true. Um, my friend who read the book uh, said it is quote-unquote chiclet, so, um, you know, literature for women, so a lot of people look down on it. Um, but, I mean, I've read a bit of chiclet before, so, like, if you've ever heard of the TV show Big Little Lies, that was originally a book, Um, and I thought that book was actually very well written and the story was very interesting. Um, all of that was pretty good. So, um, not to say that I'm necessarily going to read One True Loves, but like it is worth highlighting that there is, um, you know, that bias in terms of how people address it, um, in terms of its genre. So once again, it's not a romantic comedy. Don't watch that movie expecting to laugh. Um, I've, like I said, the, the people who have read it um, said it's a tearjerker. So that is One True Loves, which was out on April 7th. Um, the next movie is called Sweetwater, and that came out in theaters on April 14th. So this is written and directed by Martin Guigui, um, who is an Argentinian uh, film writer, and it follows Nat Sweetwater Clifton, who's played by Everett Osborne as the first black American to sign an NBA contract. Um, I think this is great because, you know, we can educate more people about 
uh, the struggles that black folks have had to overcome in this country to even be part of, you know, things that we kind of view as staples today. We have a lot of black athletes who are very well respected and very good at what they do. Um, but obviously it was not always that way. There have been lots of struggles that black athletes have encountered when trying to, um, you know, agitate for fairness or even for just participation. Um, so on, in, in one way, Sweetwater should be able to help people maybe help people understand that struggle. Um, on the other hand, with the same thing as like, or I guess the same caveat that is given to any story that is, or any movie that is like inspired by a true story or like based on a real person. Like, um, I am a little, uh, not necessarily concerned per se, but it's interesting that this was written and directed by this Argentinian director, um, Argentina does not necessarily have a great relationship with Afro-Latinos or black people in general. Um, I saw some discourse on that like a couple months back. Um, and like, it, it's an interesting perspective. Honestly, like, I don't know. I'm just like sort of waiting to see what people say about this movie. Um, like, but sorry, getting back to like the caveat about like, these sorts of movies like they're always going to sort of pick and choose things to include in the story um there may be some things that are sensationalized um to make other people look good um like for example the blind side if y'all remember that movie from like forever ago where sandra bullock was playing the white woman who adopted this black uh student black boy um, who then um went on to become a great football player um, like, there's no real question as to, um, like, any of the racism or anything that, uh, this guy encountered. Um, it, it was very much like, oh, look, white people can feel good because, like, this per this woman, like, ex extended her kindness to this person. And, like, on one hand, sure, yes, that's great, but also, like, the inspiration porn of it all, like, it's not it's it's very much focusing on how white people feel and not how the impact of um you know or like the empowerment of black people to be able to um you know solve their own problems and stand independently i guess um and that's sort of a, a, an issue that also um i guess we run into when you know people who are not from that group telling our or telling um you know those stories um the only other example i can come up with at this point in time is kind of goofy it's um when macklemore sang that his song um like same love or whatever like some people liked it because they're just like oh yeah like we can be more kind to queer people and like a lot of queer people were just like we don't need macklemore to talk for us like we've been trying to say this shit and you y'all haven't been listening so um yeah i don't know i on one hand like it's great that this story is being shared and these trials and challenges that sweetwater faced like will be exposed but also like i think it would be interesting to see how this differs from like um you know if the story was told from his point of view or um from uh, like the point of view of a, a black uh writer or black director I had something else to say and I totally forgot. Maybe it'll come back. But anyways, that's Sweetwater coming out in theaters. That uh, came out in theaters on April 14th. Um, and the last uh, movie that I wanted to mention is Power Rangers Once and Always. This is out on Netflix on April 19th. Um, and it's just a, a Power Rangers not a reboot per se but like it is featuring like the original actors from the original Power Rangers. Um, and I think it is just really fun um i don't know if the power rangers like no one really takes it seriously and i think that's the beauty of it like the only real interaction that i've had like strong fandom interaction that i've had with the power rangers franchise was, was the power rangers movie that came out in 2017 um and i loved that movie it was just so fun and like light uh, while, like, also tackling issues of, like, growing up and stuff, and friendship, and all that stuff, so, I don't know, it was, it was good, I don't know, I think, 
this movie will probably really be great for um, people who enjoyed Power Rangers growing up. Um, so that is Power Rangers Once and Always on Netflix on April 19th. Um, so that's all for pop culture for right now. I'm going to take a quick break and then we'll be back with main content. All right. And we are back from the break. So this week or this month, I'll be talking about Shadow and Bone. Um, I know I mentioned it at the end of last month's episode, but I figured that I would talk about it because um, I've got thoughts. <laughs> um, so this is encompassing both Shadow and Bone, the TV series on Netflix, as well as the book series um, called The Grishaverse. Uh, by Lee Bardigo. So um, we'll just launch in with some of the like world building pieces as well as just like my takes on all of them and stuff. So um, the main uh, focus of um, the Shadow and Bone series or the Grishaverse um, is this country called Ravka, which is based on Russia. Um, and they're on, on like the same continent that Ravka is on. They're two other countries um there's firda um based on nordic countries and then there's shuhan which is based on china and mongolia um and just in terms of like how these like tie to the real world and geography and stuff like russia on the like southeast border is um is bordered by mongolia and and china um and then the nordic countries are on its western um I guess, borders. Um, so those are the two main countries that, like, Ravka borders um, on the same landmass. And then there's also a few other countries that have been mentioned as well. There's Kerch, uh, which is like an island nation um, modeled off of Germany. Um, there's the Wandering Isle, which is based off of both Ireland and Scotland. There's Novia Zem, which is across the ocean to the west. Um, apparently, this is based on like the colonies from America or like the American colonies. Um, established by Britain as well as the Australian colonies established by Britain um, but for some reason um, they're also peopled by black folks which is cool um, and the language of um, Novia Zem is called Zemini and it seems to be more like African language inspired than um, you know some of the uh, maybe like Aboriginal languages from Australia or native languages from um, uh, the Native Americans. But anyways, um, so those are like the, the main countries. And then there's also um, another group of people called the Suli, um, and they are inspired by the Romani um, in that they're super nomadic. But in terms of like how they look, they're inspired more by um, Indians as well as Turkish people. Um, so as you can tell already right off the bat, there's a lot of like mishmashing going on. Um, and yeah, we'll get into more of that later. But the, the final building block of the Grisha verse is the Grisha themselves. Um, Grisha are known as they're like quote unquote magic users. Um, it's not really magic. The book goes into that more in detail, but, um, for the sake of simplicity for the show, um, we'll just say they're magic users. Um, there are three categories of Grisha. There are the Ethereal-key or Ethereal-nic, um, and they're also called summoners, um, and they can control wind. Um, they're called, the wind controllers are called squallers. Um, those who can control water are called tide makers, and then those who can control fire are called inferni. Um, and then there is the corporal key or the corporalnik, um, and these are Grisha who can control aspects of the human body to either hurt or heal. Um, the Grisha who can control um, or, or who can cause harm to the human body are called heart renders, um, and most of the time their like combat involves like um, manipulating like uh, the human heart by like slowing down people's pulses or like people's heart rates or like doing other things to them. Um, and then there's of course the healers who can um, manipulate the human body in positive ways. Um, there's also another order of corporal neck called the tailors. Um, and they are mostly used um, for altering people's appearances. Um, it's a lot of like, I think mostly just like facial reconstruction, like body reconstruction, etc., etc. So um, those are the corporal key. 
Um, and then there's the materialki. Um, singular is materialnik. Um, and these are Grisha who can control physical items. Um, so there are two categories. There's the Durast who can control physical materials. And then the Alchemy who can control chemicals. Um, the, Distinction between the two isn't really um, very well explained, slash I don't have the greatest understanding of it, but that's okay. Um, for the sake of this episode, it doesn't really matter. You just need to know the three main categories of Grisha. Um, and for those of you who may know Russian, yes, Grisha is a very silly name for magic users, and we don't get an explanation of this in book, uh, in universe, until like, maybe the sixth or seventh book of the series um and i use series loosely it's really just like the universe that lee bardigo has created um as far as the books go there are three separate like installments i guess the first installment is shadow and bone um like is is the titular shadow and bone um which is followed by um storm and siege and then rise and ruin um and these are all focusing on the main protagonist of the Shattered and Bone Netflix series, Alina Starkov. Um, and then there's a second duology called Six of Crows. And then the second book in that um, series is called Crooked Kingdom. And that focuses more on Kaz Brecker as well as the other um, his, his crew in um, Ketterdam, uh, which is the capital of Kerch, um, and they get up to all sorts of heists and the like. Um, I very much enjoyed that duology just because I love me a good heist. Um, and then the third book in the universe, third series in the universe is another duology, um, King of Scars and Rule of Wolves, and this series focuses mainly on, like, the... Um, political fallout um and focuses more on the new king of ravka so spoilers a little bit for the tv show as well as the books um nikolai lansov um as well as his relationship with zoya nazielinski um as and, and nina zenek doing stuff up in fyrda um so yeah that's um that's the book series i you know i, I really like the books the books are actually like really fun to read um, the Bardico, like, can write pretty well, and, like, you know, it's, it is YA, so it's, it's very digestible, and the book really pulls you through in terms of, like, the plot and everything that's happening. It's kind of Game of Thrones style in that it's told from multiple perspectives, so, like, you finish up a chapter, let's say, you know, from, we'll go from the first book like or the first series like you finish a chapter from alina's point of view and then it'll switch to someone else although honestly i don't remember if um the first series sw swapped perspectives that might only start from the second series onwards i really don't remember the first series to be honest with you um yeah so i guess like you know the better example would be the first you know first chapter of six of crows like maybe starts from kaz's point of view and then it switches to inej and then like jessiper and like other characters in in the crew so um it's it's very you know it pulls you along pretty easily um so that is the world of the grisha um or the grisha verse um oh the point that i was making before is yes if you if you do know russian it's kind of silly to be calling your magic users grisha because um grisha is the shortened version in russian for grigory um this is explained in uh king of scars but it's kind of silly that it takes that long to explain why magic users are called grisha um which left a lot of us being like or a lot of us or people who at least have like some connection to the russian culture um and russian language being like why are your music your magic users called greg um so i think i might have mentioned in my last episode like i jokingly call this lee bardigo's world of greg because the grisha verse is like Greg first, Greg world. Um, and I think that's funny. So, um, yeah, that's the building blocks of Shadow and Bone. Um, as I mentioned before, um, there's a lot of mishmashing that goes on in terms of like, let's try and smush all of these cultures together. And as you can imagine, that can come with some disastrous results. Oh, actually, one country that I forgot to mention was the Wandering. Oh, no, I did mention Wandering Isle. Um, but anyways, um, so we'll start with, like, my gripes with this world building and, like, the content. Um, so, 
we'll start with the mishmashing first and then we'll move into other stuff. So, like, Wandering Isle is probably the mishmash that I, like, don't care the most about because, like, it's Ireland and Scotland. And I understand that those are two, like, very different cultures and, like, very different people. Um, but they're also white and, like, I... I don't know. It's like, you know, the, just the power dynamic of like representation and like who's in media, who's not. And like, sure. I understand. I also understand that like England has been working very tirelessly to eradicate both Irish and Scottish culture. Um, but that's not the focus today. I, I really don't care. Um, we're going to be talking more about like the mishmash that happens with Shuhan, for example. Shuhan is based on China and Mongolia. Um, and these are two completely different countries. Um, their languages are very different. Their writing systems are very different. Um, China and Mongolia have been on, been at odds with each other, like, for a long time, at least, like, throughout history. I don't know about the current day relations, but, like, um, like, the Great Wall was built because, um, China wanted to try and keep the Mongols out. But, like, that's the sort of thing that I'm talking about, where, like, I don't know Lee Bardigo's motivations, and I'm not going to pretend to know them, but, like, it does suck for her to seemingly say, like, these cultures are similar enough, let's just smash them together. Um, and it's, it just feels even more weird given the fact that, like, the cultures are so different and they've been at odds with each other in the past. Um, so that's, that's one sort of mishmash that I have not been really a big fan of. Um, and then, in terms of, like, placing this sort of historically, um, not that the book is historical fiction by any stretch of the imagination, but, like, I, I would think that maybe Lee Bardugo is trying to, like, summarize Russia's interactions with all these different countries and stuff. So, like, in terms of Shuhan, like, Russia was invaded and conquered by the Mongols in the mid-13th century, so, like, that is certainly, like... I think that's a, an interesting relationship to look at between, like, okay, well, we have this fantasy country that's based off Russia, and, like, these are Russia's real-life relations, and, like, can we model a fantasy country that's, you know, if it was based solely on Mongolia, I think that would be more interesting, um, just to have, like, these two different powers, because, like, um, I don't really remember my world history too well in terms of, like, China's interactions with Russia, but I feel like China was like pretty secure in its sort of cultural influence and impact in its own like sort of sphere of influence. Like, not uh, like when I was looking at Chinese and Russian history, like m most of you know, I didn't do too, too deep of digging either, but like a lot of what I found was like more modern days. So, like, you know, China was the main, was ri Russia's main rival. Um, for control of the worldwide communist movement, I don't think that that really played too much into um, how Lee Bardugo chose to um, build her universe. But like, you know, maybe that's something, maybe that's a reason why she chose to smash China and Mongolia together. But I do think it would be interesting to have, um, you know, a country or, you know, to break Shuhan into two different countries where like maybe one of them has that sort of like, relationship with Ravka uh, that that mirrors the relationship between the Mongols and the Russians um and then as far as like China's relationship goes it I like I said I don't think there was too much um like interaction or really nothing that I can remember once again I didn't do too much digging on history so I could be completely wrong but um yeah, like, I, I don't know, I think it'd be interesting to have that actually broken up into two countries and, like, have one, like, really not care, and, like, one is, you know, sort of trying to be more territorial, I don't know. Um, but anyways, yeah, that is something that I have not, like, that's sort of the biggest piece for me where I'm just, like, this is my, my biggest beef with this series. Um, and as far as, like, the live action only goes um like in the books alina starkov is supposed to be ravkin like she's more or less white um because ravka is modeled on russia um but in the netflix adaptation alina is um is played by jesse may lee who is chinese and english actually um so like it's cool that this actress got the opportunity to play this character um and also at the same time 
Um, Lee Bartico is an executive producer for the TV series, and she okayed it, and then in one episode of the first season, she does have um, her character, like Alina Starkov's character, be called a rice eater, um, which... It really goes to show you that any sort of weird phrase that any white person says with enough uh, venom and like um, anger and can can be viewed as a slur. Um, and I don't really know why we decided to make up a slur, like for real. Um, for what? Like, why are we making up slurs uh, to to making up new slurs to call people? I don't I don't understand. Like, that's not highlighting the sort of um, I don't know. Uh, there's, I think it's lazy. Fantasy is, like I said before, fantasy is supposed to be an escape from reality and the confines of reality and the fact that we've chosen to take racism into this fantasy world just seems really weird, especially given that the way that the Shadow and Bone TV series works with racism in that like, it only seems to be alive for Alina herself because she is... Um, in the Netflix series, she's half Ravkin, half Shoe, um, and that just seems weird that is only this person where racism happens, because there are other characters in the main, in, like, the Ravkin group of people in the TV show who are also not white. So there's Nadia, her brother Adric, um, and Zoya, um, all three of them are people of color. Both Nadia and Adric are played by black actors. And then Zoya is played by, I think she's half Indian. Um, let me take a look at that. Yeah. So in the TV series, Zoya is played by Sujaya Dasgupta, who is an Indian actress. Um, so obviously she looks not white. Um, and, so it's really weird to me that, um, you know, Alina's race is really, like, picked on and and we came up with a new slur for it. But, like, nobody else seems to care about um, the race of the other Ravkins. I'm not saying that we should. I'm just saying if you're going to, like, have racism be, like, an aspect of your fantasy world, you might as well do it consistently. And, like, I... Not to say that I want that, right? I, I think that... My my best case scenario here would be that rice eater as a slur is removed. Like, it's so fucking stupid. I can't believe that Lee Barney goes like, yeah, let's make up a slur. Um, So I, it's just really weird to have that sort of be this focus where, where then like everyone else is sort of like invisibly another race, but they're actually Ravkin. I think that's cool. Um, like colorblind casting is very cool to like help build this world and bring it to life. And also, I think it does um, it does take away from the richness of characters. Um, and this is, I think, was also people's complaint for Bridgerton is like it's very weird to have characters who are like a certain who you know. Um, are played by actors and actresses of different nationalities. And so as a result, they look, you know, non-white. And at least for Bridgerton, which is supposed to be like a period show, like set in like England, like royalty was generally not like people of color. And so I think it would build a richer story if like we were to acknowledge like the fact that, hey, these people are bring like the, the actors are bringing like this aspect of them to their character. And like, if there's something that is added into their character um, with the heavy caveat that it's done well, then I think that it can bring more. I think, you know, colorblind casting has its merits in, in terms of like helping to bring, more talent through the door and and really force people to think about okay um is this you know average white actor the best person that we can get for the job just because like we are you know not really involved or, or like we can't see past our own our own noses in terms of like representation or whatever but it's also certainly not the be-all end-all fix um so like like I said, I, I think it's really weird that the racism is, like, applied specifically for this one character in the TV show, but then, like, 
none of the other characters seem to experience it. And like I said, I really, really want to reiterate my my like solution here is not to apply racism to all the other characters. I think that is a bad idea. I think that we should just remove the racism from the show. And it's just, you know, Alina is Alina and she just happens to look this way and whatever. Like it's not calling Alina's character a rice eater does not actually add anything meaningful for the show. In fact, like watching it as an Asian person, it was just like, this sucks. Like, you know, both like i'm chinese and japanese and like you know my both food cultures rely have like rice is our staple so it just it just feels really bad to hear someone sling around the the phrase rice eater like a slur um like we didn't need that it was not necessary so um yeah i don't know that's diversity win we can call her a slur now um it's not great um, and then in terms of, like, the other stuff, this isn't necessarily as much, like, racism slash representation, um, like, things that I'm annoyed with as much as just, like, things from the Netflix ad- adaptation that drive me nuts. Um, so season one was actually quite good. I really enjoyed it. And, um, like, everything that happened in season one was like i don't know it was just like well put together enough in terms of like the characters the story the dialogue that like everything that i was like really excited for season two and then season two came out and i watched it and season two is not like necessarily topically dark as much as like literally dark every time like this every time it's like nighttime or like they're in the fold or whatever which that's another geographical feature in shadow and bone um there's like it's called the shadows the shadow fold or the unsea and it's basically this expansive land where um one of the main antagonists did something in the past and it is now covered in shadow and populated by monsters um, but anyways, like every time they walk into the fold or like they're doing something in the fold, it goes so dark. Like I'm talking game of Thrones level dark where you cannot see what's happening on screen. And I really get that Hollywood is trying to be like, we want to be realistic and whatever. And you can't see in the dark. And it's like, okay, but th- we're also watching it. Like if I can't see what's happening, like how am I supposed to enjoy this? Like TV is supposed to be a visual medium, like give me the visual media like give me give me the visuals like if they're not there what's even the point so like that's my main my main complaint about this the season of shadow and bone as well as just like fantasy in general like if it's dark why don't we just have some lighting somewhere like it's fantasy we don't have also like um i think the person from or like one of the people who directed lord of the rings like lord of the rings have pl- has plenty of like scenes that are dark but they're like lit well lit enough so that way you can actually see what's happening and um someone asked them one time like oh you know why isn't it pitch black it's supposed to be dark and the person was just like it's fantasy like there's a light source somewhere like whatever just go with it um so i really think that current fantasy television could use a healthy dose of that like a reminder that it's fantasy it's not something that we need to take that seriously like sure take it seriously to an extent but also like let's be able to see shit that would be really nice um and then also there's just like with the way that the tv show is going it's like they're trying to mash all three like storylines into one tv series and i wish that they wouldn't do that just because like the way that the universe is laid out and plays out like Lee Bartigo actually has done a really good job world building and developing characters such that it is like they are um like you're familiar enough with them such that like when they come back it's not a shock um you're like oh right this person was important enough to like you know have a story told about them and therefore they're back in the story in the universe because like they're still alive and they're still there um and they are three-dimensional and they have wants and needs and motivations and everything um so like the universe building is actually good but like the tv so the tv series i feel like really butchers it because like they're trying to do too many stories at once um so, like, chronologically how this all happens, like, the Shadow and Bone trilogy happens first, and then after Shadow and Bone is Six of Crows and Crooked Kingdom, and then after that, 
like even further after those two books are King of Scars and Rule of Wolves. Like there, there's a lot of time separating them and, um, or not a lot of time, but like a decent amount of time separating each of the story arcs and like each of the characters like has to like, you know, go through the character development to get to where they are. And season one, you know, covered, I think all of Shadow and Bone, the first book, um, and like just introduced characters that play parts in Six of Crows, the Six of Crows series, and then um, did not really touch anything from King of Scars, Rule of Wolves. Season two um, sort of wraps everything up for the entirety of the Shadow and Bone series, like the first trilogy, as well as um, like it doesn't even they don't even get into the plot of Six of Crows. They have the characters introduced from Six of Crows, but then they do stuff that's sort of related to Crooked Kingdom, um, as well as, I think, probably something from Rule of Wolves. I haven't gotten that far in the book yet, so I have no idea. Um, but, like, it just very, just, like, mashed together and very weird. Um, and then, like, the end of Season 2 sort of hints at um, Six of Crows as well as um, King of Scars. So... I don't know. It's just like, it's cool on one hand to have like the author herself driving this. And so really like, I'm not that upset about it because like it's her own work that she's butchering. Um, like, and maybe season three will be better. I'm not personally going to watch it because I thought season two was so horrible. Um, but like, I don't know, I guess like at least like if you're going to butcher your own, like, if 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 someone's gonna butcher your creative work at least have it be yourself and lee sure is doing a great job of that so congrats um could not be me i would have wanted like i think i would have wanted things to like more strongly follow the books because like like i said the universe is well done enough such that characters that were important before still like come back um so like spoilers i guess like in season two alina is supposed to like in the books alina is supposed to lose her power um as part of like her sacrifice and like how things play out and that's how the fold is destroyed um but in the tv show it's completely different and alina still like has her powers and like i'm not going to spoil the very end of season two but like something happens and like if you watch carefully it's like hmm this is interesting i wonder where this is going um and like this is a very important part of like rule of wolves and prince of scars like the fact that alina is now a normal person and same thing with mal mal is also a normal person like he's not um, he did get brought back to life, but not in the way that it was shown in the TV series. He's also not, like, going out pretending to be Sturmhund. So, like, there are a lot of differences. Um, so, yeah, that's, like, I guess my overall beef with um, the deviations from the book. Um, the main thing that I think was, like, a lot of just, like newly added material that i thought was like very shoddily put together was um so the six of crows gang goes to shuhan to um to get what is called the neshenir or the blade that can cut shadow um and you know the the point is to use that to fight one of the the fight the antagonist and give it to alina so she can use it to fight the antagonist um but so the character who is um the two characters who are involved with that entire arc there's one there's a woman who's like um she's not an assassin but she's viewed as a saint in like the ravkin religion um because she could cut through shadow and do this like miraculous thing um and she is also grisha i think she's a heart render um but um so uh, an important another important thing to note about Grisha is that they do age more slowly if they use their powers. Um, so like this woman is like hundreds of years old or whatever and has had multiple partners um, over the course of her life. Um, and so she's um, her current partner at the time of the show is like this old white dude. And I it's just weird to me the fact that like 
they're like especially since this character is like specifically like from the nation of shuhan and like is supposed to you know be like this formidable fighter or whatever and she's like doting on this like old frail white dude and she's just like i love him so much i'm just like okay this is not necessarily like why this is not necessary like why couldn't this person have been not white um i don't i really genuinely don't remember like his role i just remember he was just like this old white dude um and it just felt disgusting because of like the age difference there's a lot of history with like asian folks and being in relationships with white folks who are like much older than them and it's a lot of you know maybe there is some like genuine connection there for these in real life like people and also at the same time a lot of those connections are based on power imbalances like i know i don't feel comfortable hooking up or like meeting up with older white men because like they view me as a toy they view me as like i don't have um like power i am not someone worth listening to um it's racism plain and simple and so like i know that there's also the whole discourse of like you know asian women are allowed to love who they love and i am 100 percent on board with that and at the same time the representation of this like woman being tied to this old like blubbering white dude for really no reason like it just felt weird to me um it gave me the ick um and like it really continues to to showcase that stereotype of like asian women are submissive and they will dote on these people uh, on like they will dote on like their older white partners um and it just like i said it's a lot of this is just based in power imbalances and if if racism wasn't a thing then i wouldn't have to talk about why this is weird and i probably wouldn't have a probably wouldn't have a podcast about it but like yeah i i really didn't like that um i don't know that this character is actually in the books and the nishenya is actually in the books like i said i'm like i think i'm a little bit over halfway through rule of wolves so we'll see if it's even there but either way um did not really enjoy seeing that on screen but um that's like all my complaints about the series um in terms of like the good um i mean the series does actually bring a cool look at um fantasy because i feel like a lot of high fantasy and fantasy series have really been focused on western europe um and you know this is a series that's focusing more on eastern europe um and like all the folklore and um influences from russia and i think that is a really cool perspective to have i do think that um having more of these like medieval perspectives from other countries um specifically like non-western european countries in fantasy i think will be helpful and really cool actually to explore i think fantasy especially if you're going to set it in the time of like medieval times like there's a lot of ripe ground to be explored from um writers of color um by setting their stories in medieval non-western european places um i think that is a very cool setting that can be explored a lot more um however of course the main caveat with the world building of course is that lee bardigo is white um as i mentioned before at the top with like all the mishmashing that's going on some of it is like pretty disrespectful so um the world building for the most part is okay um you know that mishmashing really does at least for me bring down the score a lot um and then the other part that i mentioned before like the characters themselves like it's very like lee bardigo actually does a very good job of crafting her characters and the world it does feel very three-dimensional like every character that we meet who's important is like very alive and very fre- fleshed out they do have their wants their needs and their motivations um and it's really cool actually that we get to see them resurface time and time again um so yeah i guess like major spoilers here like alina does come back in one of the other book series like in one of the other books outside of the shadow and bone trilogy as does mel um granted i think their cameo is very small but like she does come back 
Um, Zoya is a constant throughout all three series, you know, most heavily in Shadow and Bone, the trilogy, as well as the King of Scars duology, but she does pop up a little bit in the King Six of Crows duology. And then, like, the characters that have been created in Six of Crows do not exist at all, or, like, are not mentioned at all in the Shadow and Bone trilogy, but they do have a part in the um, King of Scars duology. So, like... I was talking to Rowan about this the other day. Like, it is actually really fun and, like, um, enjoyable to, to read these stories and, like, actually, like, have these characters pop back up. And I think that is a testament to Lee Bardugo's, like, world-building skills and her ability to craft cool characters that are likable and, and well-fleshed out. Um, I do think her world-building itself could use a little bit more work. Um, but as far as the characters go, I think she, she's done a pretty good job. Um, so in terms of overall thoughts and everything for the TV show, season one is great, enjoyable. Season two is an absolute shit show. If you can make it through season two and you enjoyed it, let me know. Um, kudos on you. I like, I, I watched, I think there are eight episodes. I watched all the way through uh, episode seven and got halfway through episode eight. And I was like, I've had enough. I can't deal with this anymore. Cause like the script really felt weird and clunky. And I feel like the actors really did their best with what they were given, but like the script was absolute dog shit. Um, and there were definitely some times where I could tell like people were really acting very hard. Um, and some of it might've been just because like I was high while I was watching the show and so like sometimes i was able to really pick up like this person is acting and not like behaving normally (laughs) um but uh yeah i don't know like season two is a disaster i really didn't like it like i said i don't think i'm gonna even like waste my time with watching season three when that comes out because like i I'm not happy with the way that the TV show is going. So my my pitch is really to read the books instead. The books, I think, are very well done. Um, and I granted, I don't remember the Shadow and Bone trilogy really at all because, like, Alina was kind of a boring character. That's my hot take. But otherwise, like, the series is good. Would highly recommend reading it. So, um, yeah, so that's my... My, my review of Shadow and Bone, both the TV series as well as the book series. Let me know what you guys think. Um, hit me up on Twitter um, or on Instagram, I guess. Or, yeah, just, I think Twitter's probably the best place. Just let me know. Do you agree? Do you not agree? What do you think? Um, anyways, uh, I'm going to take another break and then we'll be back with the end of the show. All right, and we are back from the break. As you may know, the last segment of the show I call What's Your Nonsense, and this is where I talk about something that I'm into that nobody else seems to be into, or something that just makes me happy, and let me tell you, (laughs) I spent a long time thinking about what has been making me happy recently, because I, like I said at the top of the show, I really haven't been doing anything too much outside of, like, work and trying to decompress from work. Um, And I guess the main thing that I've been doing that has been really enjoyable has been, like, reading um and i have uh been been really browsing the collection as curated by the new york public library um both their fiction and nonfiction collection for adults looking at um stories in the fiction world as well as like stuff in the nonfiction world that are highlighting queer experiences and person of color experiences um and so i've been really putting to i've been putting together a list of books that i'm i'm checking out um so the the next one up that's on my list is called bad gays a homosexual history by hugh lemmy h-u-w-l-e-m-m-e-y um so i'm really excited to read that and um if you're curious about like any of the other books that i have put together on my list um you can take a look at the reading list um, from the New York Public Library. I will link that in the episode notes so you guys can take a look. But I would highly encourage everybody to continue reading um, books, both fiction and nonfiction, from people of color as well as queer folks. Just because, you know, as a as a marginalized group, we um, have a lot of things to share with the public that generally do not 
get shared in wider audiences and granted like if you are published um that does record that does you know mean that your work was palatable enough for a publisher to take to print um that's of course if you're with a big publisher and not like a you're not independently published not to try and diminish the achievement of those who have been published, but that is sort of a caveat to just remember when you're reading is just that like, if something is widely available in text, that means that it was okayed by um, like a larger publication or, you know, a larger company that has more power and is generally not run by people of color. Um, so that's just something to keep in mind, but um, continue to read stories and, and, pieces and essays work from people of color and queer folks um and also one more thing so that's that's my nonsense and one thing that i also remembered that i wanted to highlight i mentioned it in the episode notes last month um but i did talk about children of blood and bone um by tomi adeyemi um and i i did want to really re-emphasize the fact that children of of blood and bone is an aspect of um seeing black people in fantasy but it is also like specific to um like african diaspora um and folks who are african immigrants um black folks who are um or how do i want to put this this is um like people who immigrate from africa and who have no like family connection to slavery like Yes, we as non-black people see them as black, um, and also at the same time, they have distinctly different experiences from black people who were enslaved in the United States. And so as a result, like I want to really emphasize the fact that Children of Blood and Bone, that entire series, is great, and is also just one facet of seeing black people in fantasy, and once again, there is that that difference between black folks and African immigrants or African diaspora. Um, and so like if you're looking for black uh, experiences in fantasy, Tommy Adeyemi's book is one place to begin, but it should not be where you stop. I think you should really be seeking out specifically black authors um, and, and hoping to like, you know, read their perspectives and, and see their takes on fantasy, science fiction, or what have you. So um, it's a sort of nice tie-in in terms of, like, you know, I'm finding a lot of joy in trying to, like, curate a book list um, that focuses on um, minority voices, but that is an important thing that I wanted to bring up in terms of the distinction between, like, African diaspora and Black Americans. And um, like I said, non-Black people sort of see them as the same sort of group just because like they have the same skin color and everything but like i do want to re-emphasize and acknowledge that there are differences in those experiences those lived experiences and that adds more richness to the stories that those folks can tell so um that is pretty much it for this month's episode thank you so much for listening thank you for your support this show is completely independently run um i do all the editing and stuff myself um and the best way that you can show your support for this show is by going to my patreon which is patreon.com slash nonsense and noise pod there are three sort of reward tiers there is tier one which gets you a shout out on the episode tier two gets you access to bonus episodes i haven't been able to like put together too many bonus episodes but i'm hoping to maybe do some more over the summer um we haven't heard from Bryn in a while, but Bryn and I were kicking around the idea of doing a hockey mini series where they gushed to me about hockey and I have zero idea of what goes on in hockey. And I just thought it would be funny to, to sort of do that and see um, just how that all plays out. Um, I have also got some other ideas for like maybe me just like playing video games and like talking about what's going on um, or even like doing a sort of thing like Twitch plays Pokemon, but like in an audio medium um my friends and i were playing um pokemon infinite fusion the other night and like we were chaotic and i thought i i had a blast just being very funny um like the, the whole experience was very funny but um you know maybe maybe doing something like that on pod um but so yeah that's um 
tier two gets you access to bonus episodes um more bonus episodes to come in the future um and then tier three will get you uh the ability to pitch topic ideas if there's something that you want to hear me talk about or like people that you want to um hear from on different topics if you're tier three you can pitch those so um that's the patreon if you like me and want to get more of me and my shenanigans you can follow me on twitch instagram and twitter all the same handle as uh, at kato not kato k-a-h-t-o-n-o-t-k-a-y-t-o twitter is where i am most active right now i'm also waiting for um access to spill um spill is a twitter alternative that was created by um a group of black folks who used to be working at twitter and have since left twitter um and i'm hoping that since it's a a site that is created and maintained specifically like by black folks and other people of color that the moderation system will be better um moderation on twitter has long been an issue and something that i think um twitter doesn't handle seriously um and like hopefully a space that is created and curated by people of color will handle that more seriously um so like uh reports of like racism and bigotry and transphobia hopefully that like spill has a better better way of enforcing those um but that's uh where you can find me twitter twitch and instagram spill once that is up i will um i should i should have the same handle but um i will let you guys know um i'm most active on twitter um i have not streamed on twitch in a long time but um maybe i'll get back into that if if folks want it um especially since tears of the kingdom is coming out next month um i'm still working on octopath may play some other games on twitch but we shall see you can follow me there for updates um so that's all thanks y'all for listening and i'll talk to you guys again soon bye